Your Story with Melinda Estabrooks, an exclusive presentation of Faith Strong Today. Listen for new episodes every Monday and subscribe to the podcast at faithstrongtoday.com. Our stories have the power to connect us, to inspire us, and give us courage. On Your Story with Melinda, your story matters. Well, welcome back to another show on Your Story with Melinda. You're going to want to sit back on a comfy chair, your lazy boy, whatever you like, with a good big mug of coffee, because we've got a show for you that's going to make you think and inspire you about your faith, your Christian faith, about your habits, about discipleship, and about worship. I've got James K. Smith on the line with me. He's my guest, and he teaches philosophy and theology at Calvin College in Grand Rapids, Michigan, previously taught at Loyola Marymount University in Los Angeles. He has been a visiting professor at Fuller Seminary, um, at Regent College in Vancouver, and his work has appeared in magazines such as Christian Century, Christianity Today, First Things, Harvard Divinity Bulletin, and others. He's smart, and he is going to challenge you, but we're not going to call him James K. Smith in this interview. We're going to call him Jamie. So, Jamie, welcome to the show. Oh, wait. He is also the author. You're also the author of You Are What You Love, The Spiritual Power of Habit, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So, Jamie, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's great to be with you, Melinda. Okay. Thank you. Where are you right now? Where am I Skyping you from? I am in my home office in Grand Rapids, Michigan, which okay. is on the west side of the state. Beautiful. Great place. Well, let's start from the beginning, maybe not just from when you were born, but what I'm saying is you are smart. You talk a lot about, you write about, you teach about this radical orthodoxy, you know, sort of postmodernism. You've got this great book on worship, but that doesn't just happen. What was in you from the beginning when you were a young kid where you sort of said, this is where I want to go. I want to be a professor and I want to teach this kind of a thing. Yeah, I think probably it, back to when I was 18. I grew up in southern Ontario, okay. uh, not uh, not far from Toronto and near Stratford, Ontario. Yep. And uh, I wasn't raised in a Christian home or a religious home. And through the dating of my, my wife, uh, well, my girlfriend at the time was doing a little bit of missionary dating, as we say. <laughs> and uh, I became a Christian through her family's influence. And oh. I think what was interesting is already at that time, from the very beginning, on the one hand, once I sort of heard the gospel presented to me, yeah. it made sense. Like I understood yeah. it. it. It was like an intellectual vision that I got. Okay. But on, on the other hand, I was definitely sort of loved into the kingdom through her family. Oh, I came yeah. through a really kind of dysfunctional, broken, fragmented home. And what I found in her family and in the church was really this sort of God's family kind of enfolding me. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's why even as a philosopher, I I very quickly felt a call to be a kind of Christian intellectual and think for the church. But I think I've spent most of my time thinking about love um, because of that sort of wedding right from the very beginning of my story and my pilgrimage. That is beautiful how you Mm. came to Jesus sort of this by the folding of love from us. Isn't that what it should be about? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a reminder that uh, evangelism isn't just getting a message out. It's actually sort of being the the uh, hands and feet of Jesus and, and enfolding our neighbors uh, in ways that I think people are really hungry for, too. Yeah. And so we can show the gospel often much more powerfully than we can tell it. Jamie, I love that because I think in my upbringing, I mean, I you know adopted into a missionary family. Um, evangelism mm. was big, right? Over in Asia, we came to Canada in 1986. But how did we lose touch on the enfolding of love? Because when I grew up, evangelism was all about... Telling, 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 you know, uh, making sure you don't go to hell, 
Make sure yeah. you get to heaven. Say the sinner's yeah. prayer quickly. You're in. It's like yeah. you're in or out. Yeah. How did we lose our way in that? Because, you know, as I was reading your book, You Are What You Love, The Spiritual Power of Habit, there's so much more about love and imagination and dreaming versus so much of that. Yeah. What happened to us? So this is – and this is where we take a big swig from your coffee and put your thinking cap on. Because okay, this is go. in some ways – nice. This is sort of why I became interested in philosophy because I actually think there's a story to be told from philosophy. The way I would put it is simply this. In the kind of modern age, which – actually means from 1600 onward. But yeah. what, one of the things that happened is the church doesn't realize the extent to which we kind of bought into a view of human beings as if they were brains on a stick, mm-hmm. right? We sort of accepted a very enlightenment, rationalist picture of what human beings are. We treated them as if they were just thinking things. And when you do that, then you kind of flatten the gospel out to this message, this sort of, yeah, a message that's communicated and deposited into intellectual receptacles. And once you do that, you kind of disembody the gospel in some ways. And so the church becomes superfluous. You know, what we do is almost irrelevant. It's a weird sort of dichotomy that we bought into that I think is actually forgetting a lot of scriptural wisdom. Mm -hmm. Is that why sort of the start, the genesis, the beginning of your book, You Are What You Love, The Spiritual Power of Habit came to be? Because it sounds like that from the beginning is sort of your heartbeat. Like this is sort of your thing. And then writing a book like this makes so much sense now to me, just hearing a little bit of what you're saying. Yeah. So there's a certain irony, in fact, that in a way, so I'm a Christian philosopher. I teach at a Christian university. In a way, I get paid to think. <laughs> so I'm, I'm all for thinking, but I actually think we sometimes overestimate the power of thinking and underestimate the power of our affections, our loves, our uh, longings in beautiful. shaping who we are and what we do. And I think in many ways, contemporary Christianity has been really good at analyzing ideas and messages and Mm -hmm. doctrines and beliefs, but we've been just completely missed the dynamics of desire and hunger and longing and and love in that sense. And um, I actually think if we're really going to embody the gospel for contemporary culture, we have to realize it's not so much that our neighbors have these kind of intellectual questions to be answered. Sometimes they do, but it's more like they want something and they don't know what it is, right? There's this kind of gut level hunger that Mm -hmm. they're struggling with. You know what? That's good. A lot of times with friends of mine who like aren't Christian, let's just say, a lot of times I'm just naming what they're longing for. So, you know, I talk about Jesus and like, oh, Oh, maybe that's what it is. It's really fascinating. I've seen that happen before where they're, they're longing for something. They don't know how, what the name is. They don't know what it really is within you know, their yep. soul. Totally. And as I'm in relationship with them, I mean, I've had a friend who it took like six years for her to finally say, you know what, Mel? It really wasn't you. It was your friendship. But finally, I was sitting in a you know, Good Friday service and somebody said a prayer. And I was like, Jesus, I want to follow you. Mm. Sorry you mm. weren't there with me. You, you didn't bring it home. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what it took. Six years. Right. But she said for you it was that constant relationship, you identifying that it was this, you know, Jesus and, and what he's about and love. And then finally I got there six years later. But what I love now is she is this passionate, loving follower of Jesus Beautiful. who really made the decision on her own to finally say, I choose it and I'm willing to sacrifice and go the distance. And I'm like, yep, that's it. That's it. You know, that's the kind of relationship change I want to see or, you know, person change. And unfortunately, I think 
too often we imagine we're going to argue people into yeah. the kingdom of God. And that's just not – even people who tell you that they don't believe in Christ because of intellectual reasons are usually covering – for something else. That's it's good, why, yeah. I mean, as you know, in You Are What You Love, kind of in many ways, the animating sort of conviction comes from St. Augustine, who's an ancient Christian teacher who at the beginning of his work, the confession says, he's praying to God and he says, you have made us for yourself and our yeah. hearts are restless until they rest in you. Yeah. And I just think it, there's just so many insights. It, it reminds us that the kind of the heart is the center of the person, but it also tells us something about our culture. The reason why we see this kind of restlessness is precisely because people are made to love God, but they're loving all of these substitutes, right? They're chasing yeah. and, and hungering after all of these substitutes that just constantly fail to satisfy us. In many ways, I think this is what you two has been singing about for like 40 years. Yes. Right? You still haven't found what you're, you're looking, looking for, for yeah. kind of dynamic. Jamie, let me talk to you about this. I want to just read a short paragraph from your, the preface of your book, You Are What You Love. And then I want to kind of do a little kind of Jimmy Fallon type of let's go through the quick questions, okay? okay? This is what it says. I mean, obviously, you know, but I'm saying to my viewers and listeners, in the very end of the preface of You Are What You Love, it says this. If you are passionate about seeking justice, renewing culture, and taking up your vocation to unfurl all of creation's potential, you need to invest in the formation of your imagination. You need to curate your heart. You need to worship well because you are what you love. And you worship what you love. And you might not love, this is interesting, what you think, which raises an important question. Let's dare to ask it. So, Jamie, I'm going to dare to ask you this. There's six things within that I want to talk to you about. Great. So in that, you say you need to invest in the formation of your imagination. What does that mean? So um, think of it this way. You imagine the world before you ever think about it. Hmm. Uh, let me try to unpack that because I know that sound, might sound like philosopher speak. But what I mean is before you ever kind of go through this kind of cognitive, deliberative, rational processing of the world, everybody has kind of a feel for the world, right? Hmm. We have this sort of take on the world that's operative under the radar of our consciousness. And that is overwhelmingly shaped by some story that you've absorbed. Mm -hmm. So for me, to be human is to be a storied creature, right? That is, you can't not live in the world and not be animated and oriented by some kind of fundamental overarching story. And that story gets hold of you. It's caught more than it's taught, right? You sort of, it gets absorbed at this level of the imagination that you might not ever put into words, but it actually governs how you live in the yeah. world. Oh, Does good. that help? Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. All right. Two, you need to curate your heart. Yeah. That's beautiful. What does that mean? So if we are what we love and sort of the heart is the center of the human person, then what we have to realize is your heart is being shaped and trained and aimed, you might say, in all kinds of ways that you don't even realize. Mm, so yeah. you have to start to become attentive to and curate is the sense of, right, like you you have a responsibility to be careful what you love, right? Be careful what you give yourself over to. Guard your heart, as Proverbs put it, yeah. right? Because out of it flows everything that you do. So it's not enough to just be intentional about what you think. You also have to be intentional about what you're learning to love. That's good. That's a good reminder. That's really good. All right. Number three, you need to worship well. 
Yeah. I mean, it sounds like one of those kind of cliche evangelical things. Yeah, we got to worship. Everybody worship. We worship well, hands in the air. Oh, God. But but what do you mean by that? So the one kind of key point in the book is this, that because we are lovers, because the center of the human person is the heart, and because we sort of learn to love through the rhythms and practices that we give ourselves over to, Mm -hmm. I use this kind of technical word liturgies. I don't want anybody to freak out because it's kind of a religious churchy word. No, I love liturgies. (laughs) So for me, liturgies is, let's use it in a very, very broad sense to mean rhythms and rituals that are heart shaping. Love shaping rituals Mm. are what we could call liturgies. But once you, if you accept that, then you have to also realize, however, that there are liturgies everywhere, right? They're they're not confined to the walls of a church. The mall is a liturgical space that is really training my heart to love certain things as if they would make me ultimately happy. The mall teaches me that stuff will make me happy. And it's not because it's communicating an idea to my head. It's because it's kind of capturing my imagination with a vision of the good life. So in a way, to say that human beings are lovers is to also say that we're worshipers. But you have to be careful what you worship (laughs) because it's either going to eat you alive and be dissatisfying or if you realize you're made to worship the one who made you, then you'll find satisfaction, fullness and so on. Oh, that's good. Oh, with a little bit of a splash of conviction there. That's good. (laughs) Number four, which is your book. You are what you love. Now, I sat there on this one because I'm I'm, reading the title of your book. I'm like, and I'm thinking of all the things I love. There's relationships, but there are things I love that I was like, hmm, what does that say about me? You actually gave me some a moment of contemplation, Mm. Jamie, because I was like, Mm. I got to think about that one for a bit. That's like a journal entry. Talk to me about that. Obviously, the title of your book, You Are What You Love. Yeah, I mean, it gives me pause too. Yeah. It's probably written to myself more than anyone. Yeah. Or in many ways, we had four teenagers when I started working on some of this stuff, and you realize, okay, if what defines me is not so much what I know and what I believe, but what I want, maybe that's one way of translating it. To yeah. say you are what you love is to say you are what you want. Well, now I have to sort of take stock of my life and ask myself, what do I really want, right? What am I really craving? And is that what God wants for me? Mm -hmm. Um, So to say you are what you love is to say you're defined by your most fundamental longings and desires and not just by what you believe. Okay, that's hard. Let me tell you what. Yeah. You are what you love. So for a lot of us, maybe I should speak for myself, for me. I will say things like, yep, I love Jesus. I love the church. And I would say not completely do I I really live that out. And maybe that's not what I really love, but that's what I'm supposed to say I love. Or maybe I half believe it. Because what I really love is I want more money so I can go on vacation and rest because I'm exhausted. And this culture and society is is wearing me down. Um, I love beautiful clothes. I actually do. I love going out and buying clothes because I want to have a good image, especially because I have a podcast and I speak. I mean, I'm being very honest and frankly. You look fantastic. Thank you. But that's a hard one, especially even as a follower of Jesus, because there are moments where I say that I love the right things, but maybe I really don't. How do you reconcile that? Because sometimes I'm like, I, I don't really love going to the church. I don't really love worshiping Jesus all the time. I really don't love reading about 
the Bible, the scriptures, you know what I mean? Like, because life yeah. is in the way of all yeah. the other things. Yeah. How do you do that? Maybe one thing that we should first of all emphasize is when we're talking about love here, of course, right? We're not necessarily just talking about an emotion or okay, uh, that's an good. affection, right? Yeah. It's sort of like, what am I sort of long for? I want to use the words love, desire, and longing as kind of synonyms that can interchange yeah. with one another. But you're right. I mean, you've hit the nail on the head. This is why you might not love what you think. Right. So totally. If you ask me, what do I love? I'm a Christian. I'm a theologian. I know what the answer to that is. But if you had some sort of like magical x-ray that could then sort of go over my heart and show what it's really craving, I would be uncomfortable to learn the distinction and gap between those two things. Now, that gap is the gap of what we call sanctification. Yeah. Right. Do you know what I mean? So that's yeah. that gap. Closing that gap is precisely the adventure of the Christian life, which is becoming holy. And so it's maybe in some ways the beginning of holiness is confessing that there's this gap between these two things. Yeah. What I want to emphasize is that you can't think your way to new loves. It's not enough to just have the right information in your head. What you really have to do is reform your habits. Can I give you an example? Yeah. My wife's like this total foodie kind of person, right? Like sort of, and it's great. She's like gourmet cook, you know, urban garden. Wow. We only only have like happy cows and happy pigs in our freezer. And (laughs) and so she's really into like eating well and also like just food systems and things like that. And for years she was kind of like beating me over the head. I'm sure there's a nicer way to say that, to sort of embrace this vision. Mm -hmm. And so one day I started reading a book by Wendell Berry, who sort of captures this whole vision. So I start reading the book and I'm like totally intellectually convicted by this, right? Like I'm scribbling in the margins. Yes. Amen. And of course my wife's rolling her eyes because uh, she's been saying this for 10 years, but now all of a sudden, because Wendell Berry says that I agree. But I had this experience where I'm reading this book about eating well and eating justly. And I sort of pause one day and I'm making a note and I realized that I'm reading this book in the food court at Costco. Do you have Costco up there? Oh, we sure do. So you go there for the cheap hot dogs, a slice of pizza and the fries or the poutine. And if you're Wendell Berry, it's like the sixth circle of hell. Do you know what I mean? Like it's everything (laughs) that is wrong with the world. And so I've got this Look at the gap that's going on in my life. Intellectually, I'm completely convinced by the argument. But here I am chomping on one of those foot-long hot dogs, you know, still doing things that aren't good for me or good for those pigs and and so on. And so that that disconnect between what I know and believe and what I really want, that disconnect between what I know and what I want, Mm -hmm. that's the space that I'm interested in. And what I'm suggesting is you're not going to close that gap with more information. Right. What you have to do is give yourself over to practices, worship, liturgies that will reform your heart habits, what you really want. You have to change your tastes. You have to change your hungers. But that takes work. And a Absolutely. choice. And it takes time. And it takes time. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. You, kinda... no, you don't get to figure out, oh, what's the retreat I get to go to where I figure it all out? Or what's the conference? Or what's the book? We do that, though. We've created a culture, though, Jamie, that that's what you do. You go, you go to the conference, you go to the retreat, you get it all in. The next day, you're all excited. And then by Wednesday, you're like, uh, fail. Exactly. Yeah, the and high just went to an extreme low, and now I really suck. Yes, and, and you hate yourself. I hate yourself, and you don't feel great about yourself, and then you do this sort of lamenting. 
which oh is God. not Jesus sees you. Right. Oh, God, look at me as a failure. I spent all this money going there. And now I'm Wednesday and I'm right back to where I was before. Yeah. And I think we fall into that trap because implicitly we've kind of bought into this notion that we are thinking things. So if you go to the conference and get the right information, oh, I'm going to be – if I go to this church on Sunday and hear just the right sermon, oh, I'm good to go. No, 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 no. It's about habit. It's about the spiritual power of habit. And what the spirit wants to do is reform your habits, not just inform your intellect. Yeah, that's good. I want to get into that. But I think you answered my five and six question. Sorry. Five was, no, 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 no. You worship what you love. Yes, exactly. So those two things are interchangeable. Interchange, so yeah. if you want to know what you love, just take a sort of audit of your life yeah. and see what you give yourself over to. Uh, what do you really mm-hmm. kind of lay yourself before? What you need to do is almost like take an audit of your time, your energies, your passions, and realize what I give myself over to is the clue to what I really worship. Yikes. Jamie, that's, you know, as you're sitting there, I'm thinking through and I'm like, okay, uh-oh. So HGTV, love HGTV. <laughs> yes, yes. And I play a little bit of Candy Crush and Fairway Golf <laughs> a lot and – yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean it's good. It's good. I'm media, thinking through something. Social media. What? I spend so much time on social media. So we don't want to just demonize these things. But what you start to realize, for example, what I would do is sort of analyze the liturgical rhythms of social media. And if you start analyzing what you realize is it reinforces self-interest. Okay. It's, it's not just what you're seeing there. The ways in which it just turns into this kind of practiced egoism and self-centeredness. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's a moment. We, you know, that's a struggle. I'll be honest, especially, sure. you know, since I've been in television, I do speaking, I do a podcast. You're, there's a party. It's like, well, I got to promote myself. You know, you yep. got to promote because this is what you do. You want more yep. eyeballs. And some of it, I'm like, legitimately, the motivation is this is a really inspiring interview. I want people to learn. Yes. But there is honestly a part where it's like, oh, it's me. And I yes. want people to know that I do great things. Yeah. And I'm great. Yeah, no, no. And I'm thoughtful and I'm smart and I want people – and I'm mean, being very honest with you because you know, if I, if I was going to say it on platform, I'd say this is all because I want you to learn more about Jesus and how to be a better follower of Jesus. But the other side is, well, actually I want to show everybody how great I am and what I'm doing and how I'm making a difference in the world. So this is why I'm you – know, this is why I do what I do. Yeah. But so, don't, you think, don't you think that kind of honesty is itself – liberating and says something about what Jesus followers are supposed to look like, which is we don't pretend that we've got it all together. Right. Right. I hope That's so, why yeah. for me, Christian worship now is sort of this counterformative project, right? Christian worship is the space in which the spirit is trying to reform my loves. And that's why it, in, in a lot of Christian traditions like mine, confession is built right into yeah. the practices of Christian worship because it's where we confess, you know what? On the one hand, I want to do this for Jesus. But on the other hand, I also know that I'm doing this for me. Lord, forgive me and help me to sort of overcome that. And it's a life, it really is a lifelong Christian adventure. Yeah. Finally, six, you might not love what you think. What does that yeah. mean? Yeah. So the when you start to realize that your loves, your wants – are being shaped under the radar of your awareness, right? Mm -hmm. In other words, the things that the the culture is training you to want things as ultimate without ever engaging your mind, right? So when you show up at the mall, 
somebody doesn't meet you at the mall and say, uh, here's the 16 things the mall believes, right? Or here's the message of the mall, yeah. right? It's it, the last thing the mall wants you to do is think. Instead, what it does is it invites you into this rich, embodied, textured experience because that's how it's going to capture your imagination. And so if you if all you worry about is what you know and believe, you will completely miss the fact that your loves and hungers have been co-opted by cultural liturgies without realizing it. Wow, that's powerful. I was going to go to the mall after this interview. <laughs> you can still go, but now because when you walk I know, but now so, that's good because I wanted to get a dress for my speaking. But now that's actually it. I can go. You're trying to create yes. an environment and experience for me. Yes. I see it. All right. My we have kid, a little my, bit. When, when my kids used to ask to go to the mall, they would say, Dad, would you take us to the temple? Because we'd had a conversation about what a, wow. what a sort of religious site it is. It's a cathedral of consumerism. Yeah. Wow. Okay. We have a few more minutes left. I want to ask you this as sort of like a takeaway for me. Great. So you say you are what you love. The Spiritual Power of Habit. This book, what you write about, your thoughts, and you are you know, so articulate, Jamie, like so good. What do you want me, a listener viewer, to take away from the book or just your learnings as our final sort of thought on this? Yeah, I think two things. I would love it if people were given resources to become aware of how culture is not just trying to change their mind, but is trying to co-opt their heart, right? So just a new kind of awareness mm -hmm. about the dynamics of our deformation, you might say. But then positively and constructively, if we had more time, we could talk more about it. I really want to reframe for people what's at stake at church, Okay, right? That church isn't a place where we're just going to express our devotion and praise to God. It's a place that God is calling us because he wants to make and mold and reshape us and do something to us. Liturgies aren't just something that you do, they do something to you. And um, what I hope is it might make people reconsider the church in an age in which I know a lot of people are kind of a little bit skeptical about the church, but to realize that it's an arena in which God is trying to train our hearts. And you know what? Then people won't be so negative against the church if we embody that, right? Yeah, it comes back right? to right where we started, right? Because if we become this kind of people, then we should also exhibit a kind of hospitality and compassion and forgiveness which are all virtues that we need to learn by practice. Yeah, and how we started off this conversation where I love how for you to come to Jesus was this enfolding of love within yes. family, which really yes. should be what the church should be, of the enfolding of love no matter how messed up you are, where you're at, even if you're still doing crappy bad things. Yeah, we yeah. We still no, enfold you with love because love will change you. Will Absolutely. And I saw that with my own self. I mean, I, you know, went off the rails and it was constantly my father mm. and mother who kept enfolding mm. and enfolding in love. I mm. mean, was I doing horrible things? Absolutely. But they just kept coming back. And, you know, when I was going through difficult times within even with my own church community, the church for me, enfolded me with love and grace and not judgment and disdain yeah. And, yeah. and rejection. And so yeah. I, I really am a product of that. I've heard from so many people that they have not received yeah. that. And so I hope the church can get their act together on that, right? Especially since that's what our Heavenly Father does right. time and time again and asks us to keep coming and saying sorry. Yeah, beautiful. Well, James K. Smith, a.k.a. Jamie, author of You Are What You Love, The Spiritual Power of Habit. Folks, pick it up on Amazon.com. Pick up the book. Also, JamesKSmith.com for more of his thoughts, tweets, blogs, and things, right? I mean, you write a whole bunch yeah. of things. This guy is smart. He's thoughtful. You know, Jamie, what a pleasure 
Like, great. I mean, I wish I could have you on for another three hours and learn from you. You should be doing, like, teaching like this. I should bring people in the studio and you could do be our professor. But thank you so much for your thoughts on this. A lot for me to think about. I know for our viewers and listeners as well. So all the best in what you do. Keep writing because you are a gift. You are a gift to us because we need to be reminded of these things, these important things. Thanks so much, Melinda. I appreciate your spirit. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to Your Story with Melinda, an exclusive presentation of faithstrongtoday.com. Listen to past episodes by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes and join the conversation with Faith Strong Today on Facebook.